If you would, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, we are just in the beginning of this new sermon series on this amazing letter that Paul uh, writes for uh, actually the fourth time to this congregation, but only two of them have survived for us. And if you're like me, and maybe numerous other men and women that I've talked to, then you're someone who is dying to know if you can just have true peace. Many of us know the pains of anguishing anxiety or debilitating depression. And so obviously we're on a search for true peace, and that's a good thing if we're seeking it in the right location. It's what we were made for. But what if I could tell you exactly where that was located? Exactly where you could find it? Come on now. It's July 4th weekend. We're, we, we, you know, I know a lot of people are out, but let's read the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, And the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our God and our King, you have sent royal ambassadors to thousands upon thousands of churches around the world this morning. And we are only fulfilling our duty as ambassadors if we proclaim the message that you would have us proclaim. And at the same time, we are not unaffected by the message because we desperately need it as well. So God Almighty, if it pleases you, would you grant for all of us in this room the type of hearts that would receive your sovereign salvation and your bountiful blessing. We ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you found peace? In your life. Peace with others. Peace within. Peace with God. Ernest Hemingway has a story called The Capital of the World, and in it, it gives this very interesting scene. It says, no one could really say why he ran away, or perhaps he didn't, but was kicked out of his home by his father for something foolish that he said or did. Either way, Paco found himself wandering the streets of Madrid, Spain, with hopes of entering into a profession that would most likely get him killed, that of bullfighting. Those who train under a mentor, they have a good chance of surviving this profession, but Paco's memory of his mistakes and guilt over what had happened had blindly drove him to this one-way street to his destruction. But that was the last thing his father wanted, and that's why his father tried something desperate, which he hoped would desperately work. There was little to no chance that he would be able to find Paco by wandering the streets of Madrid, so instead, here's what he did. He put an advertisement in the local newspaper. The advertisement read this, Paco, 
Meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Well, Paco is such a common name in Spain, as Hemingway says, that when the father went to Hotel Montana the next day at noon, there were 800 young men named Paco waiting for their fathers and waiting for the forgiveness they never thought was possible. That shows something. That if we knew that all could be forgiven, that we could know that things with our Father are right and that they're good, wouldn't we run there? We all long to know that all is forgiven. We want to know that there's that relational security. The question is, how do we get it? Here's what this text, even this short portion of scripture that maybe we just skip over in our Bible reading, this text gives us the answer. If this blessing is going to resonate with you, we're going to have to answer four different questions. First off, who is blessing you? What is the blessing? What does the blessing do? And fourthly, how do you get the blessing? First off, who is blessing you? You see here, it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see there in this first part, it is God our Father who is blessing you. When it says God here, don't, don't just quickly skip over that. But when it says God, it means the transcendent one. No one is higher than him. He's the being who is worthy of all respect, all honor, and all glory. He's the creator, the sustainer, and the sovereign. He's the one whom the psalmist says in Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. That's the one who's blessing you. There literally could not be a higher authority even imagined. He is the God. But it also says that he is God, our Father. There's a difference between saying that he is God the Father versus God our Father. He is always God the Father. We believe in the triune God. That there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is always, speaking of this person, he is always the Father. The question is, is he our Father? Unless he is our Father, then there is no fatherly love or care or protection or shelter or blessing. How does he become our Father? Well, just like in our modern world, if if I can give a hypothetical example, let's choose Brent. If Brent's going to become my father, Brent has to adopt me. I have to be legally brought into his family for that to happen. If God is going to be our father, he must adopt us. How does he do so? He does so through his own son. We must receive his son, if we are going to receive him as our father. John 17, 26 says this, 
I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that, this is what Jesus says, praying to the Father, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. I want you to think about this statement. Jesus is praying that for those who would be adopted into the family of God, he is praying that the same infinite and eternal love that the Father has loved the Son with, that love, no other love, that love placed upon us. Amen? That's how you have God as Father. This love knows no limits. This love is never fatigued. This love has no expiration date, kind of like the salmon I bought last week and didn't cook it in time. This love has no boundaries. It is scared of no darkness that is in our hearts. It is hindered by no sin because he takes care of that sin. Amen? Now, when we picture God as Father, we we can't picture him in our sinful view of our sinful fathers. But rather, if we are to know God as Father, we must understand him the way Jesus reveals him. Jesus, the Son, came to perfectly reveal his Father. Therefore, what you see Jesus doing, how he treats people, how he moves towards sinners, there is no God in heaven that is different than the Jesus that you see in Scripture. Amen? When you see Jesus caring for the widows, when you see him looking after his own mother even when he's on the cross, when you see him defending the lowly, relieving burdens, healing the sick, gathering children with joy, when you see him befriending the friendless, or even when you see him staying committed to his people even when they deserve the opposite, when you see him staying on the cross to save you, that is the love of the Father for you. Amen? But you can't expect to get God as loving Father if you reject His Son. I remember when I was doing youth ministry several years ago, and I took a group of my students, my middle school students in particular, to this camp, summer camp in Texas. And I had some, some girls who were really good at basketball, and they had asked me to come play basketball with them against this team of all guys. And, uh, well, because... The girls were really good. They were just whooping up on these guys, and it was amazing. I just, I don't even, I think I was shot maybe twice or something like that. I didn't need to. They could probably beat me. But then something interesting happened. Because they were beating up on this group of guys, the guys got very frustrated, and so they started to play a little too physical. Well, you better believe that in my fatherly instinct for my flock there, I, I was not feeling the most happy when I saw them beating up on them. In that illustration, if even I got defensive for seeing people starting to rough up the group, my sheep that I brought to this camp, what do you think will happen when we reject the Son of the Father? Unless you embrace His Son, then God will only be your judge. And that's why Paul puts... Jesus, his son, right alongside the Father. You see this other person who is blessing us. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that the Son is equal with the Father. Jesus is the Father's image. We are made in the image of God, but only Jesus is the image of God. Amen? The Son shares the same essence as the Father. What in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. When you get Jesus, because he is God, when you get Jesus, you get God. Now that changes the way we read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. He sent someone who is God himself. It is the greatest blessing. The good news of the gospel is that the Father sent the Son to perform the work of salvation. And my friends, if that does not convince us how much, how eager the Father wants to bless you, then I don't know what will. He is not a stingy God. He is a God who doesn't just bless you just with the amount you need, but far beyond anything you could ever imagine. When Paul calls Jesus Lord, it's important here in the Greek that actually, the same way in our English translation, but the word for Lord is emphasized. Paul is saying nothing less that the man Jesus Christ was God himself. And because he is God himself, it means he is Lord. This is not so much popular anymore today, but it used to be popular several years ago where some people could say that you can receive Jesus as Savior, but then you also have to receive him as Lord. But my friends, there's not two different Jesuses. There's one Jesus. He is not only Savior, he is also Lord. So therefore, you cannot receive Jesus as Savior unless you also receive him as Lord. We don't make him Lord. He is the Lord. When it says Lord, it is also the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh. The Old Testament God. The God we saw in the burning bush speaking to Moses. The God we saw performing the the miraculous ten plagues. The God who parted the Red Sea and delivered his people from their oppressors. The God who gave the Ten Commandments. The God who Isaiah saw on the throne in Isaiah 6. When the angels cried, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. Yeah, that carpenter, that man who walked among us who... No one looked at him with their physical eyes and said, oh man, he must be really impressive. But it was that man who was Yahweh in our flesh. He is God and man. He is Lord and King. He is the one who blesses us. Now that should set the stage here for how amazing this blessing is. You could not get a better blessing. You could not get a higher blessing. No one else could match this. 
I like books. I think you all know that. And uh, I just advertised one earlier. And if you walk into my office, you, you'll, you'll see a lot of books. And one of the things I do whenever I'm trying to decide what new books I want to read is I look on the back of the book because I want to see the endorsement. Because whoever endorses the book, if there are, as it were, more quality names on that book, it's probably going to be a more quality book. So I am looking to see who is endorsing what and what are they saying about it. My friends, this blessing is endorsed by God himself. There is no greater blessing. Amen? Here's the thing. If God is the one who blesses us, then we need to remember that even when other people forget what they might say, other people might withdraw their opinions of us, other people, they might forsake us to give their blessings to, uh, to someone else, or people die, but not so with God. When God blesses you, it never fades, it never goes away, and it even redeems and reverses your own death. Amen? Don't you want this? Right? What, like, why, why would we not want this? This is an amazing blessing. But what is it particularly that the blessing is? That's who it's from, but what is the blessing? You see the first part of verse 2. This blessing contains two different things. We could call it, as my sermon title, the two best friends of the Christian. Grace and peace. Paul begins almost every single letter this way. Grace to you and peace. Luther says that grace and peace is what summarizes the entire system of Christian doctrine. Grace and peace. These are not words that Paul is just using as filler words. It was very, very expensive to write uh, letters back then. Paul's not wasting words. If he put it in here, he means it. And what he's saying is grace and peace to you. He blesses you with grace. I want you to imagine that this is what, after studying more and more what this term means, what it means when you are blessed with grace, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It's as if God is saying this to you. All your sins, from your past, present, even your future, all your sins are forgiven. No longer must you live like there is anything hindering my relationship with you. And even though you have done nothing to earn it, you are clothed in the matchless righteousness of my son. You did not present to me any good works, nor did I work in you anything good before giving you this righteousness. Rather, even while you were still a sinner, I gave you this righteousness. And now I see you as infinitely beautiful and pleasing to my eyes. There's no longer any enmity or ill will between us. Rather, we've become the best of friends. You did nothing to deserve this, and that means you can do nothing to lose it. I will always treat you this way. I have determined not to pour out my wrath upon you for your sins, because it was poured out on my son. 
And believe me, when I say that he is totally sufficient to cover a multitude of even sinful lifetimes of you, he is sufficient. I don't need anything from you but just your sin. From now on, I will always look at you and treat you as if you did everything my son did. I will delight in you. I will rejoice over you. I will pour out blessings upon you. I will be your God and you will be my people. That is grace. Amen? That's what he blesses you with. Now, maybe you've remembered some of the descriptions that have been brought out in weeks past about what these Corinthians were really like. You kind of want to ask the question, really, these people? (laughs) Are you sure? Did you send the text to the wrong person? Because I don't think these people really deserved it. That's the point. Because you can't earn grace Because the moment you earn grace, it is by definition no longer grace. Paul delivers this blessing to these people who don't deserve it. Because Paul knows he did not deserve it. Paul was a murderer. He did not deserve God's blessing. He deserved the exact opposite. But because he had received the blessing of God through Jesus Christ, he now, as God's ambassador, delivers it freely to them that believe. I want you to see something here that we often miss. Notice that Paul does not say, when you look within yourself, you will find grace and peace. He does not say that. If I speak to Jonathan and I say, grace and peace to you, that is a word that comes from outside of himself. It does not come from within. My friend, the blessing does not come from within. It comes from without. Grace is not merely a pardon that is given to us from the outside, but we also must remember that grace is a power It works in us. Paul actually says in Romans 1.16, and by the way, the the letter of Romans was actually written from when he was in Corinth. He wrote to the Romans while he was in Corinth. And he says in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. It's the word where we get our English word dynamite, the Greek word dunamis. Isn't that cool? The Bible's awesome. Here's the thing. Why does that word power matter? Why does it matter that Paul describes the gospel as God's power? Because this. Nothing else is described to be that power like it is. Not even common grace. Nothing matches the power of the gospel of grace. That means that when you hear the gospel proclaimed, When you sing the truth of the gospel, when you feast upon the truth of the gospel in the supper, the gospel transforms you. Amen? Grace is not just pardon, it's also power. Why are we 
for, as our mission statement says on the front of the bulletin? Why are we for the gospel of grace? It's not because it's the gospel of grace because we're Grace Presbyterian Church. We have our gospel and, you know, Eagle Heights has their gospel. Sunnybrook has their gospel. No, 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 that's not it. We're proclaiming the same gospel. We just named our church after that gospel of grace. It's the gospel of grace, not a system of works that is powerful. Amen? Do you want to see children converted? Do you want to see the poor served? Do you want to see missionaries sent out? Unity amidst diversity. A biblical worldview embraced. Holiness in living. Godly, deep friendships. Hearts that are richly restored healing, biblical counseling, youth that are discipled, college students that are equipped, finances that are healthy in the church so that we might live the mission of God, officers that are trained, leaders that are developed, biblical ethics that are promoted, marriages that are strengthened, repentance that is promoted, vulnerability that is shared. Do you want to see those things? I do. How do you get that? Well, you don't get apples from an apple tree by stapling fruit onto that tree. It must come organically from the tree. How do we get these things? From soaking in the gospel of grace. Because it is powerful. Amen? That's what Paul's saying here. Look, the word is loaded with stuff in only one verse. See, we'll never be able to forgive others if we fail to know how much we've been forgiven. We'll never be able to grow in patience towards others if we, if we don't know how patient God has been with us. Or if we think about loving others or showing kindness or promoting goodness or showing mercy, faithfulness, peace. You'll never know those things unless you see how God has given them to you. He blesses you with grace. He also blesses you with peace. It's important here because there's an order to this. Peace does not come before grace. Peace flows out of grace. Peace comes after grace because you can't get peace unless God has graciously saved you. Grace is the cause. Peace is the effect. Grace, as it were, is the evidence of what has happened. Peace is the conclusion. It's kind of like if you took Sherlock Holmes and he comes to a scene and he's looking at there's evidence A, there's evidence B, there's evidence C, therefore the conclusion would be D. In other words, when we see the evidence of God sending his son, we see Jesus living the perfect life for us, dying for us, rising for us, ascending into heaven for us, sending the Spirit to us, and the Holy Spirit raising us to spiritual life, the Holy Spirit transforming us, the Holy Spirit securing us, then my friends, the conclusion of that is that you and God are at peace with each other. Amen? Grace is also the situation Peace is the response. There are actually three different types of peace. There is peace with God. There is peace of 
God and there is peace with others. Peace with God is a relational peace. It's a peace treaty that is never reversed. It is forever permanent. Once you come into peace with God, it is never reversed. Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Certainly Jesus is talking there that the peace that he leaves with us is because of the peace he accomplishes for us. This is very important because we don't always feel at peace with God in our conscience, do we? Eddie and I were driving back from Memphis two weeks ago, or however long, from uh, the PCA General Assembly, and we drove past this uh, pond uh, around the Perkins area, and it was a really cool scene. I just saw these cows, and they were just kind of standing in, it was a shallow pond, they were standing in the pond, they were just drinking water. One cow literally looked like it was like laying out, soaking in the sun rays, and I was like, this looks like people at the beach, but now it's cows at a pond. It looked amazing. I had some, I had some holy jealousy for them. I was like, this looks great. But how differently is the scene when we often look at maybe planet Earth documentaries? And we see the antelope as they go down to drink water. And they're looking around very intently to see if there's a crocodile that's about to come out of the water. Oftentimes, as Christians, we live as if we're antelopes and God's the crocodile and he's just waiting to get at us. But my friends, because of Jesus Christ, that is not your relationship with him. Your relationship with God is one where you're at peace with him. Luther had this German word called Anfektungen. And he used this word to describe that feeling of the antelope who was just constantly anxious to see when is the crocodile going to eat him. Anfektungen is that idea that God is he's still angry with us and he's out to get us. One person describes it this way. Anfektungen is an image that captures the idea of an angry, finger-wagging, judgmental, harsh, condemning, aloof, holy God. I bet that many of us in here have seasons where we think of God that way. That maybe because of a certain sin from our past, or maybe because of a certain situation in our present, or maybe even just in general, we picture God as if he is the angry, finger-wagging God, even though we are a believer. But my friends, the blessing here for you shows that that is not true. That in Jesus Christ, you and God, you are at peace with each other. You might not always feel that in your emotions, but the reality of your life that you and God are at peace. Amen? My friends, if we realized, if we realized more of the worth and beauty of Jesus Christ being our sacrifice, of Jesus Christ's righteousness being upon us, if were we to really understand that, which really can only happen in heaven, 
then we would never struggle with a lack of peace. Because he is so infinite, he is so glorious, that the Father looks upon you and says, oh man, me and you, we're good. Because he's enough. Amen? There's also the peace of God. Peace with God never changes. The peace of God is what we could say, the peace felt within. Peace that is experienced. We don't always feel this. There are seasons where we do have the peace of God. There are seasons where we don't. Sometimes that is because of our own sin. Sometimes it is just because of the Lord's strange providence. There are seasons where we feel at peace and seasons when we don't. Now we know in heaven it will, it will forever be the foundation. It will forever be the experience. Peace that we've never felt on this earth. But here's one thing we need to remember If we're ever going to feel the peace of God, we must always remember the grace of God. We won't be able to know more and more the peace of God when we forsake that God has been gracious towards us. That's why the order is there. Peace cannot come by your good works. Because when you actually look at your own works, you'll realize they're not as good as you thought. Now that's important for the Christian because we are called, we are commanded by God to repent. But dear Christian, you must remember, your repentance is not your sacrifice. Your repentance is not your standing with God. It is a response to your standing with God. See, the reason, or excuse me, one of the reasons why we need the church is because we're not always feeling that peace of God. One of the reasons why God has established the church is so that we might learn to talk with each other about how life is actually going. You know, sometimes I'll come up and ask one of y'all a question and say, hey, how are you doing? And maybe occasionally I've done it to you, you'll, you'll, you'll say, oh, I'm doing good. And then maybe it goes on this way and it'll say, how are you really doing? <laughs> we know that. You know, there, there's the, hey, how are you doing? Then there's the, hey, how are you really doing? A church that really believes the gospel is a church that actually asks the question, how are you really doing? Because there are times in our life, for your pastor and elders included, where we will not always feel the peace of God for various different reasons, and that's why we need each other. And you know what? That means we got to be honest with each other. And that means we got to be honest about what we're really going through. That's one of the reasons, actually, why we do Sunday evenings is because we know that we need the Word of God to be further worked into us. See, we can't expect to find true inner peace when we don't promote the gospel first and foremost. There are a lot of other systems, a lot of other ideas that are being promoted today, even sometimes from pulpits, sometimes from pastors. And they're saying, if you really want to experience peace, here's the work that you need to do. But my friends, if you really want to experience peace, you need to dive deeper into the gospel. Even then, sometimes there are seasons when you don't have it. But nevertheless, that does not mean you change it up. It means you keep staying here. 
but there's also peace with others. And this is very important. Paul's writing to a congregation that there are lots of division in this congregation. There are different parties, there are different factions. Paul is speaking to them a word of blessing, and he is saying, peace, peace with others. Yes, that means even this, even in this fallen world. And let me tell you something, that's hard. It is so difficult to promote peace with others. But yet, this is what the gospel of grace does. The gospel of grace meets sinners. Sinners who are so wickedly messed up. And yet, as we see how God has moved towards us, it transforms us to actually move towards others, even and especially when they do wicked things towards us. And let me tell you something. I am still having to learn this. You see, it's never going to, this peace with others, it's never going to be perfect in this life. Nevertheless, we're still to pursue it and promote it. And one of the ways in which we know that the gospel of grace is taking root in a family, in a marriage, in a church, is whenever peace with others is being promoted. Not that the truth is being sacrificed, but that by the truth, peace is promoted. I think once again we need to ask this question. Why would we not want this blessing? Right? Is this not the blessing that countless, upon countless of people we run into, whether in person or online, isn't this what we're wanting? Guys, the Word of God is more relevant today than it's ever been. It's always relevant, don't get me wrong. But let us never think that the Bible is just antiquated and we have nothing to do with it. It is more relevant than tomorrow's newspaper. I know we don't do newspapers anymore, but that's an old quote. But this blessing right here is the blessing of all blessings. But what does this blessing do? Here's one thing. This blessing grips you. It's a weird word to think about, but it's a blessing that grips you. I remember uh, me and some of my friends when I had, uh, I, I, was, I graduated from Tulane University and then I transferred to, to Troy uh, where I played my last year of football. And uh, Troy has several good barbecue restaurants. And I remember me and my roommates, we went to one barbecue restaurant and we had seen someone that we knew who was working there. And man, when you walked into this barbecue restaurant, it smelled good. And I'm talking about like the, the real smoky flavor. I mean, it was awesome. And we looked at this person and we said, do you just smell like this every day? I bet that's amazing. Because they'd be working there and obviously that, that smoke flavor, it would just, just stick to them in their clothes, right? My friends, the blessing of God sticks to you, grips you, follows you all the days of your life. Amen? You know what's amazing? This is what happens in the benediction. When I'll stand up later at the end of the service and I'll say, may the graciousness of grace and the peacefulness of peace that is in Jesus Christ be applied to you by the Holy Spirit in accordance with the will of the Father. 
That is a blessing that will stick with you. Everywhere you go this week, if you're a believer, that's your aroma. Is the gospel not amazing? The blessings of grace and peace are yours because you're united to Jesus Christ. That's the only way you get them. But because of being in union with Jesus Christ, and because that union never breaks apart, the blessings, they never cease. And those blessings, they don't just grip us, they they transform us. We'll actually come later to just one of my favorite verses in all Scripture, 2 Corinthians 3.18, where it says that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image. That's an amazing verse. Because as these blessings are from Jesus Christ, so my eyes look to Him, and as I look to Him by faith, I am actually transformed. We are actually transformed. So the more we actually think and meditate and wrestle with what these blessings mean for us, they, they're not just good words, they transform us. It's amazing. These blessings, as they transform us, they also send us out to bless others. That's what a gospel church does. One of the ways in which we bless others that we'll actually do later in this service is that we have a time of benevolent offering. One person says this, Paul, actually in this letter, we'll talk a lot about giving. He says, Paul simply assumes that believers will give all they can to meet as many needs as they can in order to glorify God as much as they can. Now, let me make sure I address the elephant in the room about giving. That means the people who are on staff as well. We are told to give as well. And the reason why we give is because when we give, and it's not just money, but it's gifts, talents, opportunities, time, that we spread God's mission. Isn't that amazing? Money is not a bad thing. We know that from Scripture. God made Abraham very rich, but he made him rich for a purpose. Jesus is really talking to us about money, and we'll get to later. When he says, don't let money be your God, he's not saying in and of itself it is bad, but it can become your functional God. So no matter what we are blessed with, money, time, talents, whatever it might be, all of it we are told to give to the kingdom of God so that whether we are very poor or very rich, that we give all we can to God for the sake of His glory. Amen? It's a blessing that transforms us. And it leaves us with this question, how do you receive this blessing? I mean, let, let, let's get practical here, right? How do you receive this? Here's one thing we need to see. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This word that says from, it means that the blessing is located in Jesus Christ. It means that it's grounded in his work. In other words, it means that if you're going to be blessed, you must get Jesus, and you get him just by believing, just by believing, just by trusting. 
You see, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't get these blessings. You get the opposite. But because Jesus, as Galatians 3 says, because Jesus took the curse, when we believe in him, we get the blessing. Amen? It's amazing. Do you want to be blessed? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the 1980s, the Personnel Journal reported this incredible statistic. They said since, in their estimation, since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. And in its study, the periodical discovered that of the 3,500 years or so of recorded history, only 286 years saw peace. Apparently, there's been in excess over 8,000 peace treaties made and broken. But my friends, there is one peace treaty that will never be broken. Amen? And the only way you get that is by believing in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be blessed with grace and peace. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would grant us that faith. For were you not to grant us this faith, we would not have it. Father, we're asking that as we come to the table, that we would see you desire to move towards us in a posture of grace so that we might have peace. Lord, we thank you for these blessings. We thank you for these means of grace. Now may you work in us that which is needed so that you might be glorified. We ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.